Hello, Valparaiso. This is Allison Schutte, Willow Walsh, and Reagan Skaggs, and you're listening to Welcome Project Radio. The Welcome Project collects first-person stories and pairs them with facilitated conversation to help participants forge stronger ties within and across communities. We vision a world in which people are curious about and actively seek to engage those who are different from themselves. We are proudly underwritten by Asana Yoga Center and Roots Market Cafe, two great ways to feel good this season. They're located online at asanacenter.com and rootsmarketcafe.com. And thanks to Kelly and Michael Marakna, who believe in supporting diversity, learning, and growth. Theme music is provided by WVLP's very own Paul Schreiner. Thanks, Paul. Today, we're bringing you two stories from the Welcome Project's archive. They're titled Responding to a Report and Barrier Number One. And these stories are actually both by Michael Brickner, who was the Valparaiso City Chief of Police. I'm not sure how long he was in there for, but these stories were both taken in 2013. Yes. So, okay, so what made you choose these stories? Well, I was looking for things we haven't talked about. <laughs> That's true. And we actually have never heard from a police officer, as far as I know. Which is bananas. Like, I feel like we've <laughs> talked about that topic before. Like, how did we not? Yeah. And, um, I, you know, I think sometimes the stories get a little bit lost on the website if you, once they've been posted. Um, so if you don't know what you're looking for exactly, but I came across one of one of his stories and then realized we had a second one from him. And I thought it would be interesting because as far as I can tell, at least one story is about a police encounter with um, black residents or black students of, of Valparaiso University. And the other one, he's commented on the Latinx community in mm-hmm. Valpo. So I thought that was interesting, too, to kind of think at least hear from his perspective um, how these encounters are slightly different depending on whether it's a student and a you know in this case a black black students or whether they're um, Mexican residents so yeah I don't know we'll see it's Mm -hmm. also I think important we'll probably reiterate this throughout the show that 20 the interviews were in 2013 because like the world is nine years different <laughs> just, just a little bit that's that's a lot so yeah I'm curious to know how how we hear and respond to him so all right so this first one is titled responding to a report uh, Michael Brickner I'm the chief of police Valparaiso Police Department I've been with the police department 27 years so a long time there was an incident at the uh, baseball field this was probably last fall There was an email that was going around where I think students had emailed somebody at the university and described this incident. It was never reported to the police department of improper behavior by any individuals or any of our officers. It was through an email and then, make a long story short, I found out that this happened, but it was maybe a month or two after it had occurred. There were two black males that were part I'm going to call it the baseball field uh, on university property. I don't know if it was early evening. What was reported to us was that a car came by and asked if they needed any help. It was civilians, you know, just a regular car. And the answer they received was there were some vulgarities and profanity said and basically said, no, you know, get out of here, we're fine, or something to that effect. Well, what exactly was said there? I don't know, this is just what was reported to us, because that car then came to the Valpo Police Department 
an individual from that car reported it to suspicious people at this field that refused any help and thought they should be checked out. So we dispatched a police officer to the ball field. From what I know, there were two or three policemen that showed up. And one of them was, had a dog in the back seat. The officers inquired, got identification from the two males, found out they were VU students. There was nothing going on. Uh, after identifying them, we left. There wasn't any further action taken. You know, nobody was written a ticket or no, there was really no cause for anything else. They found out it was nothing. They were there just talking or something. So the two uh, young males were upset by the incident. I don't know, at the time they understood that we were called there, our police officer just didn't drive by and see them and decide to identify them. So I don't know. I think that was relayed to them, but I wasn't sure. So once the email started coming and I started looking into it, I, I received a uh, email from President Heckler, and uh, he was talking about it, and I had no problem meeting with him and the two individuals that were involved. So I did. Uh, met with President Heckler and the two gentlemen uh, in his office, and uh, you know we talked for quite a while, and, and uh, we listened. One of my biggest concerns was how they were treated by our officer. I think it was just the whole thing of uh, the experience was not a good one, but I also felt that you know we made progress. I mean, they understood that it wasn't a self-initiated stop on behalf of the police department or the officers. Uh, uh, we were responding to a report, which we have to go. Officers don't know what they're getting into or walking into. And they even said that once the officers found out that they were VU students and there, you know, that there wasn't anything going on, the, everything kind of toned down and they finished getting the identification and uh, then left. So. I know that they were talking about the dog barking in the email, and uh, that particular dog barks all the time, but the dog was not let out. You know, I asked the dog was let out of the car, uh, you know, and it wasn't. Uh, you know, I wanted to empathize with them as well, that I could see where it would be uncomfortable and to some degree, and we, we tried to come to at least an understanding that uh, there wasn't any intent, there wasn't any ulterior motive you know, on behalf okay, so of the officers. Okay, so they were just hanging and, um, out there, um, and then apparently they had a dog, and so somebody called the police on them. So the dog is not with the no. students. Oh so, my God! Okay, okay see, so, this is why we put this together because obviously oh, I don't understand. No, so these two guys are okay. hanging out in this like baseball field, which, as I've, I'm a previous VU student, um, you hang. I hung out there relatively often. Like I played games there all the time, or like you would just go have picnics there. Like it's not like the hottest spot on campus but it's like a nicer off of like away from people yeah and like a lot of students rent the houses along that road also so like that is like not uncommon um and so these two guys are hanging out in this baseball field and somebody comes up and says hey do you need help the according to the people who said hey do you need help or hey what are you up to or whatever they get sworn at uh they then go to it sounds like they go to the police station or they call the police station and mm -hmm. say, hey, there's some suspicious people hanging out in this particular area. And then the um, police chief says, well, they sent one officer. Then clarifies, no, we sent three officers. 
Um, and then apparently one of the officers had a dog with them. The officers then like get the ID and, um, at least in some way question these people to figure out what's going on and then leave. Oh, okay. So wait, were they in a car or they were just there? These two students. I mean, it says that, I mean, the chief is imagining that they were parked at the baseball field, but I don't know if that means they were in the car or not. I'm guessing that the students were probably not in the car sitting there, but I mean, I suppose they could have been. And the people that drove by just still asked them, Hey, do you need help? And it's a little bit hard to tell. Cause of course this is third hand, right? right. Cause mm-hmm. the chief didn't hear this directly from the people who came and reported it. And I'm sure the people who reported it made it sound a lot nicer <laughs> yeah i mean is this like really we were you that pleasant i, I mean, yeah right right oh, i know we're gonna of course we're help. gonna hear it skeptically it's hard not to read this through the lens of karen right like yeah. this mm-hmm. concept we now have about in most cases for karen the white woman who's like you're not where you're supposed to be i'm mm-hmm. calling the police mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so it has that resonance to me which i don't mm-hmm. know if that's 100 percent fair or not but yeah so it does seem like um self-reported the people that went to the police were like we were nice and they were mean and Mm -hmm. that makes us suspicious and definitely white because i feel like if that sounds like white people behavior i can't think of like (laughs) non-white people being like i'm gonna go tell the police on you i mean (laughs) it's possible it is possible (laughs) it does feel unlikely um we do not get from the chief of police at least the race of the people that reported the two students So a little hard to say there. So then it seems like, um, I don't know how or when, because the the chief of police doesn't tell us this, but like uh, the students got upset about it and were emailing either Heckler directly or maybe through, um, I don't remember who, if it would have been Byron Martin that was talking about it on campus with people about how this upsets them. And it gets to some, at some point it gets up to the president who then, again, this is a little bit of conjecture, reaches out to Brickner um, Mm -hmm. to ask, to talk about what's going on. And I think we also don't know here if the meeting that's called, if that's called by Heckler or if when Brickner finds out, he's like, hey, this concerns me. Can we all meet? Mm -hmm. But there is finally a meeting between Brickner, the president, and at least the two male students Mm -hmm. whether anybody else was there or not i don't know so yeah that's the that's the rundown um maybe the other piece that at least brickner thinks is important is that he wants the students to know that the police didn't randomly stop yeah Mm -hmm. yeah that they were Mm -hmm. called and they had to respond because of the report that was called yeah and he seems to think that matters to the students so again that's from Brickner's point of view we're not told from the students point of view so I mean it's uh the other story that I have from our archive in the back of my mind is pulled over 20 times which Mm -hmm. I think we actually have done on this show Mm -hmm. but you can also find it on our website welcomeproject.valpo.edu and um it would have been around the same time that the student that did that interview was on campus, 2013, uh, 2011, 2012, 2013. So I think those stories overlap. Um, and in his, in his telling, he was pulled over. 
and he identifies as a biracial kid from the south side that's how he names himself and um, talks about being pulled over by VUPD so the campus police as well as the city police always for some kind of trumped up thing that never amounts to anything um, so you know if other black students or students of color are having that experience on campus at the same time and you know they're talking to each other yeah so um there's definitely going to be a certain set of experiences that are informing the black students and what concerns they have about what happened mm-hmm. reagan how are, what's like your first thing that jumps out from his story to you uh, this might not be nice. Um, I'm, <laughs> I'm a consistency like seeker. Like that's something that's like very important to me. Um, and something that like, that's both a good thing and a bad, th- bad thing. It's like, uh, I tend to maybe comb things too much for like, not on purpose, but like the gotcha moments of like, well, no, you said this, but X happened. Hmm. So what is really sticking out to me are two things is him saying we sent an officer and then that turning into three officers, which means, so a minimum of two cars, potentially three separate vehicles um, showing up. That is a huge, to me, that's a very big discrepancy. Uh, and that's very notable. And then the uh, additional thing of the dog. Uh, and the, well, this dog always barks. Um, and this officer yeah. <laughs> just brought the dog. Um, I love dogs. I love animals. Um, police dogs have a very, very interesting history and current moment um and i don't think i don't appreciate the minimizing here of the impact of a barking very likely german shepherd in the back of a police officer's car one from the general understanding that shouldn't be happening yeah uh just straightforward that should not be happening and two uh, which part just the, the dog, dog the fa- the oh this dog barks all the time the yeah the it's like a working dog like this you have a this is a working animal um and again there's you can say there's a lot to be said about police dogs and um how police dogs are both treated and how they are used uh, both historically and today but yeah those are the things that are are standing out to me yeah when they minimize it but it's like at the same time if they chose not to minimize it in that moment, they could be using the barking dog as probable cause to, like, what? They arrest them? Like, yeah, so it's like... Or to at least search their vehicle or search them. Mm -hmm. Um, And it might not even be their vehicle. We don't know. This is, again, this is third-hand information. Yeah. We don't, we have no idea if they were hanging out in the car. And especially, like, I don't know, as, as a human person that exists and has, like, pulled over to ask people if they need things or has, like, given strangers rides when their car is broken down, I don't do that unless I see people, like, working on a car in a place they should not be working on a car. Mm-hmm. So that is also a or little... Or, like, walking with a gas, yeah. gas can. If you're walking with a gas can or something, like, yeah, okay, you probably need a ride to the gas station. Or, like, I've seen there was, like, a family pulled over to the side of the road and, like, I took the mom and we got some tools. You know, like that yeah absolutely but for the most part like no people i don't understand why would you stop (laughs) unless they're working on a car in a place they shouldn't be working on a car but they're in front of houses so i would assume as a regular person Mm -hmm. like oh you're working on your car i don't know this 
story just sounds like it comes from an, an extremely white perspective. <laughs> like that's all I'm hearing from it. Mm-hmm. It's like I don't know. <laughs> like I don't understand. We just somebody asked them if they needed help, and then you know three police officers showed up. Like what was the big deal? Like what do you mean, you freaking white person? <laughs> like of course, yeah. Like a in your personal experience yes you're gonna trust the police more and again in your personal experience it's not going to be a big deal for you if three police officers show up to ask you questions actually you're not gonna probably would feel pretty uncomfortable but but you're not you're gonna feel uncomfortable but you know like chris who's 27 at like valpo pd it's like you know chris isn't probably gonna kill you because you're like you're a white lady you know what i mean like your experience is inherently going to be different and how you see Mm -hmm. police and the the level of threat that you feel and so for a white police officer the chief of police to not understand the 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 level there you know to just have like to just to not understand like what that means to just be needlessly stopped because a i'm sure he's never been needlessly stopped because also i'm sure he has a little police badge on the back of his car so people aren't doing that to him but it's just like you 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 have no idea what it means and so if even though i I like that he's trying to empathize with them and agrees to have a sit-down conversation. It still feels completely ignorant to the fact that, like, he just doesn't understand the, like, what he did in that situation, like, why that was bad for the students, you know, just white perspective. (laughs) Yes, but to kind of, like, slide in there real quick, this also might be a legal thing that he may may not have to do but is wise for him to do the follow-up conversation the, not just not the follow-up conversation this particular description of the event or this type of description of the event so like i i am with you will but i also am acknowledging that uh, when you are in charge of something like this um and 2013 i don't And with my 2022 eyes, I am thinking of all of the ways in which police stations have been sued, in my opinion, correctly, Mm -hmm. um, for um, overexertion of force or incorrect, like, detainment or, like, what? there's a better word for that. If any of my sociology professors are listening right now, I'm sorry (laughs) I said that wrong. (laughs) But, but like, for, for like, detaining people for non-valid reasons or... Mm-hmm. any of those things like um there have been a rash of civil suit success it doesn't seem like there's been a ton of like criminal um si- criminal court like success in this but there's been a lot of civil suit success where they've been able people have been able to sue police departments um and get money you know that is something so it, it might be an attempt to kind of minimize language that would encourage something like that um that's just something to keep in mind. Yeah, the other interesting thing is that I happen to remember is in 2012, President Heckler hosted a diversity summit on campus that was directly involving the city as well. Mm. So this was recorded at a time when Brickner was aware of the city university um, attempt to start conversations around diversity and inclusion. And he was also aware that he was being interviewed by us from the Welcome Project. And he, you know, knew the spirit and mission of the project. So 
maybe not only in terms of his training as a police officer and knowing he had to represent what the officers did in a in a way that is official i think he probably also wanted to have a good i don't mean this inauthentic like like he was trying to rhetorically play us or anything mm-hmm. at least my experience of brickner has always been that he's very genuine like whether that he's had enough exposure and enough empathy to get kind of beyond some of the uh i don't know like the barriers that white people have to really understanding how significantly different black experience could be or young black male experience could be or young black male experience with police can Mm -hmm. be Mm -hmm. like that that i think is is fair i'm not sure but um yeah anyway so just commenting on his tone i think some Mm -hmm. of it is informed by all of all of these things yeah well Um, sorry go ahead well, I was just going to remind people that this is Listen Up, Welcome Project Radio. We're actually a little bit behind when I'm supposed to do that, so oops. <laughs> no, but it's not that it's not the half hour yet, so that's okay. <laughs> I don't know. Um, yeah, but this is Listen Up, Welcome Project Radio at 103.1 FM in Valparaiso, and we're community-supported radio, and you can also find us streaming online at wvlp.org. There's a fundraiser going on right now for us, uh, not just the Welcome Project, Project, but for the whole station. And you can make a donation at wvlp.org backslash support. And I'll tell you a little bit later about some really good gifts that you can get if you make a donation at a certain ongoing level. I wondered if we could briefly go back to the comment about the dog. I don't want to, I, I don't disagree at all with your comment about Brickner minimizing by trying to say, oh, that dog always barks. And at the same time, I think it gets at this difference in terms of experience. So for, like, two things stand out. Like, for Brickner, this is the dog that always barks. Okay, like, so he that's information that's just synthesized in his experience. So, like, he can't not know that Mm -hmm. (laughs) to the extent that it seems like he's surprised that other people don't know it, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, And the other part of it is that the students were upset because the police came like randomly and Mm -hmm. questioned them. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's another, I don't know if it's minimizing, it's definitely explaining. Mm -hmm. Like he feels like that explanation is going to serve um, a purpose that, that I do think highlights again, like, okay, the police always have to respond if there's been an incident reported. I'm believing him on that. I'm mm-hmm. assuming that that must I don't be think that's true. You don't think that's true? Nope. There was a case in Arizona um, where a woman had reported her miss her three children missing because her estranged husband picked them up from school. She reported it to the police. Her husband had murdered the children and then himself, and she sued the police department. And they took it to the supreme the state supreme court and the police were let off because police have no legal, I can't remember the phrasing that they use, but no, like there's nothing saying that police have to respond and protect to you. And that's what they used. And so she wasn't able to sue them because technically police don't have to help you. At least that's how it was in that state. Yeah. So yeah. I don't know. I don't believe it for all states. So Okay. So you're questioning yeah, the validity I'm questioning of that, that sure. yeah. here too. Okay. Um, 
I think in my, my thought process, I wasn't questioning it, which I, I'm not, I don't mind being challenged on that, <laughs> but I'm struck by how like the police have their protocol. They have their own set of concerns and just the extent to which the two pers- the two sets of experiences don't know each other's sets of experiences and we're expecting the citizens to be the ones you know to a- accommodate mm-hmm. the police perspective and mm-hmm. I-, I do I guess I do feel like again I experienced Brickner as genuine in this that he was trying to overcome that hurdle mm-hmm. to an extent now I don't know, you know, how successful he was at that here or in other places, but um, I just find this story as very illustrative of that kind of yes. like we are worlds apart from each other. Yes. Um, if we don't have police in our families, or if we haven't been a police officer ourselves, mm-hmm. or if we're white people in America and we mm-hmm. haven't lived in black skin or brown skin. Reagan and I and oh. my partner <laughs> were in the parking lot of where Reagan works at like 2 a.m. Oh no, I forgot. About in the pitch black, and it was like 30 degrees outside. And this was like what the second or third time we're breaking into Reagan's car because she locked her keys in there. I'm Sorry to call you out, I'm like better, that. I, dear listener. I'm better about it now. <laughs> But like, but, and so the three of us are literally like fully with an undone hanger. Like they're like, no, like we're definitely breaking into the car. It's not like there's no, we're like, we have the car, we're like pushing the window open and like shoving the hanger in. And we're the only car in the parking lot. So you can see us. And the police officer, the only car on the road drives by, slows down just a little bit. And then keeps going. And it's like, see, that's the crap I'm talking about. The fact that three white ladies can be breaking into her car and the cop goes, mm, they're probably fine. No, and we fully were, like, if the plan was, like, we had discussed, like, okay, if a cop comes by, like, it's, we, we gotta be understanding about this because we were literally breaking into my car. Like, Will, it was, it was so cold. It was so cold. It was so dark outside. And so, like, Willow and Erica's car was on, like, headlights on. So we were extremely visible in this pitch black parking lot but there's yeah they had spotlights in the parking lot too so oh, right on my car yeah right on my car, as well. <laughs> but like so it's, yeah. that's what we're talking yeah. about we're talking about that there are three white women could be breaking into a vehicle in downtown valparaiso in full view and acknowledgement of a valparaiso police officer and not have him stop out of non-concern but the fact that a couple of brown students can be vibing in a grass field and need to have three police officers show up to ask them what they're doing of course like what do you mean you don't see the problem there (laughs) like i would be if i the oh if if i was stopped in my vehicle and police came up to me and asked me if i needed something or like to come up and question me like you better believe that i will be belligerent because it's like get away from me i did not solicit this like Reagan, every time i'm drunk you do not want me around police officers i am openly belligerent yeah (laughs) but it's like i'm a white lady am i gonna get taken to jail no because we can acknowledge that there's inherent privilege in looking the way i look and interacting with police I'm just I so the fact that you can say that we had to report to a call and then not pull us over for breaking into a vehicle like come on like where's the double standard mm-hmm. there 
Just going to let that soapbox moment <laughs> stand for a little bit. And now I will do our actual half-hour station break to say this is WVLPLP 103.1 FM in Valparaiso and streaming online at WVLP.org. Uh, this is a winter pledge drive, and um, we are hoping, dear listeners, that not only our program but other programs you believe are worth supporting with your financial dollars to keep us and other shows on the air. So if you would like to become a sustaining member, which means you make a monthly pledge, if that pledge is $5 a month, you will get Paul Schreiner, his couch music CD. That's that's the guy who writes our theme song. So you know how melodic those tunes can be. <laughs> what a great cozy way to make some tea and curl up on the couch this winter. At the $10 um, pledge, you can get a WVLP t-shirt. And if you make a $15 a month pledge, you get both. Mm. Yeah. Now that... <laughs> Pretty good deal. That's a good deal. Twofer. And it's only 50 cents a day. So really... Is this show worth 50 cents a day? Are the other shows on the air at WVLP worth 50 cents a day? I think so. I spend $5 a day on Starbucks. So. Yeah, so see? I mean, where would you like your monies to be going? True. Bring them on here. Mm-hmm. So go to wvlp.org backslash support to make your sustaining pledge and become a member today. We would sure appreciate it. Okay, so coming back... Um, we do have a second story from Brickner, but I don't know that, are we done with, are we done with this first one? Maybe it's enough that it would be interesting to try to bring in this second narrative to see if it inflames another soapbox moment from (laughs) (laughs) Willow or Reagan, who knows? Or maybe me. Is it possible that Alice and Shooty could have a soapbox even happen? (laughs) I don't know. Um, Okay, let's do it. Let's play the second story and and see what you all think of this. So this is called Barrier Number One. Uh, Michael Brickner. I'm the chief of police, Valparaiso Police Department. I've been with the police department 27 years, so a long time. Uh, I'm pretty much a Valparaiso born and raised person. Went to school at South Haven Elementary School for a few years. Uh, I did go to Chesterton High School and um, have lived in Valparaiso or the uh, surrounding area of Valparaiso practically my entire life. I lived in New Mexico for a few years and uh, my mom is uh, uh, Spanish. Her maiden name is Chavez and uh, she was born and raised in Lordsburg, New Mexico, which, unless you watch old westerns, would never know where that is. Uh, you have uh, a lot of Spanish-speaking people uh, in New Mexico. You know, I was used to that because my mom speaks Spanish, and she spoke Spanish to her brothers and sisters. She came from a family of nine. I wish I would have learned it. Uh, I picked up a little bit. Uh, I mean, I grew up a lot with the uh, Mexican culture and and uh, understood some of the heritage and history behind it, so uh, I mean, it's, it's part of who I am. A lot of the individuals that we're seeing move into Valpro now are from Mexico, the country Mexico, and that culture is even different than New Mexico or Southern Texas or, you know, that 
uh, Hispanic culture. I am very familiar with you know the plight of the Mexican people from Mexico and, you know, as far as dealing with law enforcement. Law enforcement in Mexico is, is corrupt and there's a lack of total lack of trust and um, cooperation. So I understand that the individuals that are moving here are coming from that and we have to work extra hard as a law enforcement agency to gain some trust because um, I feel that it would be very unfortunate to have people who are victims of crimes, which is happening uh, from this population that are not reporting it because they don't trust the police or they don't feel anything's gonna be done or, um, but that's the kind of culture they're from. So we work hard at trying to you know, build that that trust, but when it is ingrained, I think in a culture, it's a challenge. And, you know, we've worked with people throughout the community. Sometimes, if there are uh, situations where you know we need to have somebody kind of in between as a liaison, and, that, and that's been helpful. We've worked with um, uh, Gail Carmona, who is an attorney here in town, and she's a advocate for the uh, Spanish-speaking individuals, uh, I think non-citizens, and she has, you know, offered, you know, legal assistance for them for various things, you know, when it comes to driving offenses or how to get driver's licenses, and she's been a good point of contact as well over time. And uh, Tomas Aragon, who's a minister here in town, I think Emmanuel Lutheran is his congregation, and he's been instrumental as well. So we have reached out and tried to make contact with individuals who we have a relationship with that will assist us. But, you know, as we grow, the Hispanic population is a fast-growing population, not just here but nationwide. And that's something that is on our radar screen that we're going to have to be conscientious of and, and uh, be able to deal with as a law enforcement agency. So, um, you know, we tried. Uh, take some Spanish classes and at least learn some basic communication skills because that's I think that's barrier number one is the communication barrier and if we can break through that then maybe we can get to the next step of at least establishing some rapport or uh, a relationship to where if an individual is a victim you know we can at least communicate uh, we have a list of officers from other jurisdictions as well, East Chicago, Hammond, Lake Station, where they have a pretty substantial uh, Spanish-speaking population, and they have a pool of law enforcement people that are on this list that we can call. I think if we can communicate with people, then, you know, I think some of these other fears and reservations may subside a little bit. This is Listen Up, Welcome Project Radio with me, Allison Schutte, Willow Walsh, and Reagan Skaggs. And you're listening to us on WVLP 103.1 FM and streaming online at WVLP.org. So today we have been playing two stories from the former chief of police here in Valparaiso, the city of Valparaiso, Mike Brickner. The interview was held in 2013, so just a reminder to listeners as we discuss the story that we're cognizant, you know, that nine years have passed since the time of of the interview. So um, interestingly, in this 
um, story, we get a little bit of Brickner's uh, autobiographical background, which I thought thought was interesting. Um, and I wonder if anything strikes you from this story, either related to that or just his thoughts on the Mexican population in Valparaiso. Reagan, you want to give it a go for the launch? I think this is a much uh, better example of empathy or the empathy that we would like to see from mm-hmm. folks in positions of power, particularly law enforcement, obviously. Um, and I like that, you know, there's, it seems like there has been at least some effort to maybe take some Spanish classes and I am not fluent in Spanish by any means. Um, but I also like to try and learn Spanish and like, yeah, especially if you are in, I was a social worker briefly. Um, and I took a special Spanish class to try to learn the very specific vocabulary that comes with that um so i do admire that and i do appreciate that and i hope other people also admire and appreciate that i do still think that the point is being missed um bruckner (laughs) or brickner or bruckner brickner okay brickner uh he is talking about distrust between police in the u.s being because of uh police corruption in mexico and one we're not acknowledging that we have immigrants uh, particularly in this area who are from not just mexico like we have a strong puerto rican population we have like a relatively strong uh venezuelan population in the area also um but aside from that it's more than corruption uh in other countries uh from the police it's also because people like to deport and ask questions later and they like to put people like detain people because they don't speak Spanish. And so they just detain them until they can get somebody who can speak Spanish. And that is terrifying when you don't know what's happening to you. Like it's a, I I really do want to, it's a good effort. It's a good thought. (laughs) Um, but it's a very clumsy first step. I feel. Yeah. And it is a first step. Okay, maybe let's just, like, (laughs) pick this apart a little bit. All right. Barrier number one. Um, It feels like language is not, like, the be-all, end-all that I feel like they're acting like it is. Like, I think you're exactly right, Reagan. It's like, no, it's like, what happens when people interact with the police? It's like, is it a positive experience? No. Okay, then people will interact with you. It's not because, like at the original country they were in it's like they have a different set of rela- it's like what do you mean it's well, like that could be part of it i it I, could. I hear you but like in what universe is like it's like i it's like can we just like pull the globe really quick it's like whose police force in the world could you like identify and like i just feel like the the fact that like people don't know what they're coming into when they come to America and we have to like educate them and stuff. like I feel like people have like a solid understanding of like how America works just because of how prevalent our media is, but I just like it's like this is I just feel like this approach the like okay maybe if we like just learn a little bit again it's like you're right Reagan it's missing the whole point of like. <laughs> It's not because people don't understand that they don't want to interact with you. It's because they don't want to interact with you because of what you've done. So if you can't see that, if you as a white police chief cannot see that, like, young black men are more so targeted and more so murdered by the police than any other demographic, if you can't acknowledge that, 
when you're trying to like puzzle through, hmm, why did those men get upset when I sent three police officers in a field when they weren't doing anything? Like if you can't make that mental jump, like, I don't know, maybe you're in the wrong spot because like, I agree with you. Like this just feels, we're missing the mark here. We're missing the mark by a lot. It's like we're trying to like implement small changes and then you look up and everything's hanging by like a single bolt. I don't know. That's how it feels. Like we're not, we're not moving in the direction we're supposed to be. What are your thoughts? <laughs> well, I, I, I feel like this could be at the risk of minimizing, so I am aware of that. But I'm interested in the fact that his attention is on residents who have experienced crime mm-hmm. as mm-hmm. opposed to being the perpetrators. Yeah. And his concern is that they're not reporting it because of this mistrust of the police. Now, has he named the issue around the mistrust in its fullness, um, perhaps not, but I do think it's worth at least recognizing that in this case, he wants, um, I mean, maybe it's that the bar is so, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it feels so like the bar is on the low floor. in yeah. our, at least from the progressive left, I feel like we have only heard the right or conservatives not even the right just conservatives talk about how there's too many immigrants and uh, we don't need undocumented workers and people can't even apply for asylum because there's this crisis at the border and we're just being overwhelmed so to have one (laughs) white police officer like call them non-residents you know i was like yeah like not illegals it's like wow round of applause for this white man he did not use a slur look at him go (laughs) um yeah so i uh, i'm also i remember being very curious about this in the interview the connection that brickner makes between himself and the Mexican, he calls it, um, yeah, I grew up a lot with the Mexican culture and understood some of the heritage and history behind it. Now he doesn't tell us, or we didn't choose to include the part of the interview. If he did tell us like, what is it that he understood? So I wish I knew more about that because, Mm -hmm. you know, it's one thing, like we also don't know. Um, he only mentions his mom as being, Mexican. So I guess I'm assuming he has a a white father. Um, And we also don't know how much, well, he says when he was in New Mexico, at least he was around a lot of Spanish speaking people, but we don't know exactly if that's family or if that's just um, because the, the, the the demographic in that region is Mm -hmm. just so intermingled. Um, But it's a little hard to know which Mexican culture and history is like transmitted by the family, you know, and how intensely and and all of that. So he says it's a part of who I am, but I don't know that we feel like from this story, like what that means, but it does Mm -hmm. seem to mean that there's less of a, I don't know, a barrier, a little bit. Is this barrier? Number one, (laughs) this story is called barrier. Number one. (laughs) Um, it seems like there's less of a barrier for him because he has this personal family connection to this group of, um, Valparaiso residents. Yeah, a little bit more prone to empathy in that way. Yeah. Maybe. yeah. But I also wonder if it's keeping him from maybe doing some of the educating that he, in fact, needs. Mm-hmm. 
I don't know. Oh, like, because he's like, oh, I grew up, I don't yeah. know anymore. Yeah. Well, that's something else. And I didn't mention this before, but like, Mexico is huge. And like, the cultures within Mexico are huge. And like, the also, like, um, the way that Mexico deals or doesn't deal, and a lot of other Latin Americans, America, Latin American countries also uh, deal with like uh, indigenous peoples and stuff mm-hmm. is also like a very complicated conversation. Um, so there's also like that front. So like you might know this, maybe your parent was from this particular area, area of Mexico, or like maybe your parent was, uh, maybe of a different class in a particular area in Mexico. And that's going to be a very different experience for a lot of different people. Because again, Mexico is huge. This is WVLP 103.1 FM streaming live online at WVLP.org. And we're in the middle of a campaign to raise money for the station. So if you would be so kind as to go to WVLP.org backslash support and consider making a monthly donation and becoming sustaining members, we would sure appreciate that here at Listen Up Welcome Project Radio. Um, To your point, Reagan, it's also like is his does his mom identify as white Mm -hmm. because there are um there would be like the equivalent of for americans what is white and then there would be um indigenous and then there would be also other i don't know if it would be like uh how we brought africans here Mm -hmm. so there would be black mexicans too so like where is the family located racially and then you said socioeconomically right and that could mean a totally different history is being told one that might in fact (laughs) i don't know like Mm -hmm. name and emphasize the corruption of police as the problem um not looking at other sort of ways that police encounters happen depending on where you're at in mexico who you're what your demographics are as a mexican citizen yeah so i think that's that's probably important to remember too i mean even now like we're constantly being reminded in liberal media that there's no homogenous mm-hmm. latinx community yeah um like that pan like latinx like label is like not purely a yeah US like how it's thing, even hard it to is, say like yeah it's just not not true to form it might be not purely an american thing but it's it's more of a an american thing than it is like a latinx thing other things about this story that stand out to you how do you how do you respond to or react to the fact that the police is relying on community members like the the attorney um who's the advocate and the pastor um does that feel appropriate in line is it kind of outsourcing (laughs) some of the work that maybe the department really needs to focus on themselves I feel like it is more outsourcing I also um as somebody who has had interest in working in in helping careers and in public service stuff uh my first question is like well are you paying them Mm -hmm. to do this work um, because the money does not make the world go round, but it certainly helps, especially like, I don't know this particular attorney, but I know if this person is a defense attorney, she's not making very much money. Um, and, I, I pastors and ministers, I think it can really vary depending. I don't know. So 
but you know uh that's my first concern is are Mm -hmm. these people getting paid the answer is probably no (laughs) and then my other thing is uh you're relying on other folks from other areas to potentially come down to help you know speak to uh people that are in your area that are 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 your like responsibility your residents um and so like you're also you're depriving another place of a resource to create a resource for yourself which is again i will say it is a clumsy first step it is something i'm not trying to completely again this is 2013 i i don't know but hopefully they've upped their game a little bit um but it is a it's a clumsy first step and is a first step i want to give any any type of props i can for a first step but at the same time if you know this is a need of an Mm -hmm. area that you are serving it is your responsibility to fill that need to the best of your ability. That's not me saying that every officer needs to speak Spanish, but it is saying you need to have your own like Spanish speaking -speaking officers and do additional things such as like maybe some more Spanish classes or incentivizing, um, officers and other public service members to maybe do that extracurricular, like maybe give them like a bonus if you know, they complete so many like classes or whatever like something needs to be done in that respect also or like a salary bonus if you hire somebody who's bilingual which like countless times in this region you come across people who are bilingual who are just expected to translate at their jobs but get no yeah, compensation for it additional compensation <laughs> which is also not cute but it's like okay so it's like you've identified spanish speaking as something that's important so what was the school that had like a partial day during the week that they would do Spanish classes. It's a, it's in Kir- it's by Kirkhoff Park. Yeah, I can't think of what it is. You know what I'm talking about, though, right? I do. Is it? I want to say Lakewood, but that's like totally no. not right. But it is this. It is a school, the it's elementary in, school, right yeah. by Kirkhoff Park. Uh huh. So listeners, you can cut. You can correct us. <laughs> it might be Northview. Like none of us have kids. Email us at. <laughs> but like, okay, so then I would expect that the police have identified that as a community resource in need. So when there's a threat to take the Spanish out of that elementary school, which would be helpful if you want to sort of have a pipeline in your own city to for officers to grow up here and then also become police officers here i would expect valparaiso police department to have a very large showing um and saying no this is a community need because this is something that our officers are going to need i don't know it's just like i i see a lot of like nodding towards one direction but it's like it seems very easy to put together a program and ask for city money to be able to hire somebody or have a bonus for bilingual you know just it seems pretty easy to identify some action steps and ask for funding for those because lord knows in indiana you're going to get the funding from the police station so i I haven't been at a city council meeting where they've proposed a budget and then that budget has somehow been denied yeah denied in some way (laughs) like that doesn't happen um so like yeah so where were the action steps and did those things happen or was it just like I really wish we could, like, connect with people who spoke Spanish, but, like, I'm not going to do anything about it. Like, man, I don't know why those guys were upset that we stopped them, but, like, I'm not going to do anything about it. I don't know. I just, like, feel like there could be transparency. There could be follow through. You know, there's like a what was that like the facility that was built on Washington? Is that like another is that like a police storage facility over there that's right next to the police department? I don't know. 
So it's like feels like there's a lot of money going in, and it feels like we don't have to pretend that diversity mm-hmm. is this thing that we'll we'll get to when we have the funding for it. I'm like no, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like I see where the bar is, and I see that it's on the ground, and like I understand like. In general, is it pretty awesome that he has this perspective? Because it could be a lot worse and a lot more overtly white supremacist. Yes, it's better. But at the same time, should this man be the police chief of police? No, he has no understanding of the varied experiences that the people in this community have. And I think, you know, as so Chief Ballin... Is he going to be the, so he's going to be the sheriff? Did he win? I think so. Okay. And so does that mean we're getting a new oh, chief yeah. of police? Yeah. So I would urge the Valparaiso Police Department to think long and hard about who we put in that position in terms of the fluency they have for experiences of the people of Valparaiso and not just the cis, white, heterosexual, Christian people of Valparaiso. So if we... If you want to tout things, and I know Chief Ballin has done actually a lot of good work, and he's spoken really eloquently about some of the initiatives that are happening at the Valparaiso Police Department, I would urge the follow-through to happen, because this is a time where you can make a big change in terms of who is heading and creating the vision and future for your police department. Think about that. Do you want another middle-aged, heterosexual, cis, white man there? So we're going to leave that question (laughs) hanging for the VPD to consider as we uh, wrap up the show for today. Uh, As always, I like to remind our listeners to please check out the full slate of WVLP's shows at WVLP.org. And while you're there, go to backslash support and become a sustaining member. During our winter pledge drive, if you pledge $5 a month, you'll get Paul Schreiner's Couch Music CD. If you pledge $10 a month, you'll get a WVLP t-shirt. And if you pledge $15 a month, you'll get both the CD and the t-shirt. So get your WVLP swag at wvlp.org backslash to support to make your sustaining pledge today. And then uh, check out Morning Black on Saturday at 8 a.m. They replay Thursdays at 2 and Fridays at 9. Black stands for Building Leaders and Cultural Knowledge. And they focus on concerns and issues impacting underrepresented communities of color. So it might be a really good follow-up to this show that we did today. That's it for today. Thanks so much for listening, and thanks again to our sponsors, Asana Yoga Center at asanacenter.com and Roots Market Cafe at rootsmarketcafe.com. Both are also open for business at their locations downtown on Lincoln Way. Visit their websites to learn more. We here at Welcome Project Radio love to support our local businesses. And thanks to Kelly and Michael Marakna, who believe in supporting diversity, learning, and growth. You can find us online at welcomeproject.balbo.edu and wherever you get your podcasts. And if you'd like to support WVLP and our show, you can make a donation by going to wvlp.org support. 